Thank you for listening to this Podcast One production. Now available on Apple Podcasts, Podcast One, Spotify, and anywhere else you get your podcasts. Oh, should we start this show? Yeah, I'm down. Just buying a car in Carvana first. Oh, for real? Yeah, it's super convenient. I already got pre-qualified in two minutes. All I had to do is answer a few questions. Ooh, that's helpful. And now just customizing my down and monthly payments. Ooh, that's a very fair deal. Yep. Boom. Just bought a car. And you get to take me to the Carvana vending machine in a couple days to pick it up. Ooh. I'm kind of busy. Visit Carvana.com to finance your next car. Financing subject to credit approval. This is Watkins. Welcome with Bridget Fetasy. I'm Bridget Fetasy, and you are welcome. <laughs> you know the drill. Please subscribe, rate, comment, share, reach out, tell your friends, send smoke signals, whatever. We love your feedback and we want to hear from you. This week, we are very excited to welcome Glenn Beck on the show. If you haven't heard of Glenn Beck, you've been living under a rock, but I, it has come to my attention that some people haven't heard of Glenn Beck, which is shocking to me. Glenn Beck is a firebrand. He is an American conservative political commentator, radio host, and television producer. He is the CEO, founder, and owner of Mercury Radio Arts, the parent company of his television and radio network, The Blaze, where he hosts the Glenn Beck radio program and the Glenn Beck television program. Beck has authored six New York Times bestselling books, and he's had me on his show and his podcast and was gracious enough to sit down with me for mine. So enjoy. Welcome. We have Glenn Beck, everyone. This is exciting. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm very good. <laughs> you are, I'm surprised you're... I've been... I'm guest visiting in Dallas, and Glenn is nice enough to do this, and he's been talking all day, hmm. and um, a lot of it to me. <laughs> <laughs> you are fascinating. When I had... <laughs> I, I, I tell you, I, I just love you. I love your you. attitude. I love your honesty. I just I just love you. I Thank you. I love you, too. When I had um, Jeff Garland on, he was so jet-lagged, he fell asleep. <laughs> I fell asleep. We did two shows, so I was doing the... Th- I did two shows with you, a show on the radio. I was doing my fourth show. This is my fifth. I was doing my fourth show today. And I uh, I actually, I'm, I'm getting in this weird thing <laughs> to where I can fall asleep. It's scary. I fall asleep, but my mouth is still going. And in the middle of the episode, I have to watch it tonight because in the middle of the episode, I was answering a question and I realized that what I was going to say was like, and the king has big shoes. It made no sense whatsoever. And I realized, I'm asleep. Wake up. <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah. It's like when you're talking on the phone late at night and then yeah. you, you yeah, know yeah, you yeah. start drifting off yeah. and just speaking gibberish. Yep. That's what I was doing. <laughs> it's exactly what I was doing. It's awful. It also goes to show just how automatic this is for you that yeah. you can just be talking. So and- I was, this is because I have a, I have autoimmune problems and and i i'm uh, borderline addison's disease okay which you know you don't make any cortisol and i've used all my adrenaline can they test for this yeah oh wow uh and i use all my adrenaline by about eight fifteen, <laughs> and so and i start my adrenaline starts at where most people end their day like at 11 o'clock right uh and so about oh Four or five years ago, it has to be longer than that. It was really, really bad. And I was in the uh, middle of an interview <laughs> with Dinesh D'Souza for an hour. 
and I don't even remember what what it was, but it was an hour one on one, and I kept falling asleep, <laughs> and I and we were live, and I couldn't say anything, and uh, and I kept falling asleep, and when he would finish, I would wake up and I'd ask him the question, and I said afterwards, I said Dinesh, I'm so sorry that that happened, and he's like Glenn. I wanted to stop and just say, this is the most incredible thing I've ever seen. Yeah. He's dead asleep while I'm ask, answering the question. And as soon as I finish, he asks a logical next question. Your subconscious is just still just working. Like, subconscious was just churning. That goes to show what a muscle this is for yeah. you, though. But how yeah. long? Have, so how long have you been doing radio and how long have you been doing this? Forty some years. Okay. And I've done television. I, I gave. I was going to give it up at about in the 90s because I just did stupid radio, morning radio. I was one of those, hey, everybody, wake up. It's the zoo kind of thing. You know? <laughs> I want to do that. <laughs> it was fun in the days when, you know, there weren't really any rules and, you know, you wouldn't be run out right. and called a witch. Right, you know? right. And so I was about to give up because it just became meaningless to mm-hmm. me. And I was uh, – had gotten sober. Okay. Uh, and um, my dad said, "You know what you wanted to do when you were eight? What are you? What are you thinking? You, you find something that appeals to you." And so, what appealed to me was making fun of talk radio and people who think they know it all. Oh. And so, I started to do a show in 2000. My show was actually when it was good. I was doing a lot of comedy, and it was all making fun of. People like I've turned into. <laughs> That's always the case, though. Yeah. That's the case. Every time I start telling jokes, I'm like, ooh, that's where I'm headed. Yeah. Well, you know what? It's <laughs> it's not what happened to me was when I went to Fox, when I was at CNN. So go back. You where? What is your what did you want to do when you were eight? Radio. You're, oh, OK. Yeah, I was a. My uh, my uh, mom told me a story about how radio was when she was growing up. And so for my eighth birthday, she gave me uh, a record set of all of the old radio shows. Okay. So here I'm this freaky little kid, eight years old, <laughs> listening to Orson Welles and all these things. And I just loved it. The power uh, of the imagination uh-huh. so great, much better than television or anything else. And so I wanted to do radio. Uh, and uh, and so at 13, I get into radio and where? I've done it ever since. Uh, in Mount Vernon, Washington. Okay. And then my folks got a divorce and I went down to Puyallup. And I, I actually got fired fired from three different jobs on the same day. Wait, so you were born in, D- in sorry, Washington State? State, Okay. yeah. yeah. Um, and, uh, and so I'm, I'm working at these three stations. One is a college station that they're not even paying me. Right. One is this horrible Christian station. Um, and the other one is this country station Mm -hmm. and I would ride my bike (laughs) from station to station. And, uh, this, this one weekend I had this really bad nonstop migraine headache that just, I was just blind with pain. So I went in on Saturday. I would work at the Christian station, and uh, and I would. They had me for the noon news hour. Now I'm a 13 year old kid <laughs> reading the news. Okay, and this is the time when we were still in the Cold War. So I'm reading these Russian names, and it was just it was awful. And I was sounding things out. I mean, I was just like, and uh, in other news, uh, Vladimir. 
Putin, uh, who's just horrible. Just uh, voice cracking. Yeah, just No wonder horrible. you can do this in your, literally in yeah, your yeah. sleep. Yeah. So, That's- But I, I, uh, I was fired from that job on the Monday after. Uh-huh. I lost my job because they were like, Glenn, you're a sweet kid, but you are <laughs> awful. Uh, the country music station uh, did the same thing. And uh, the one that wasn't even paying me, I <laughs> – I had I was so because it was on a Sunday night and I was still f- battling this migraine and uh, and I got on the air and I said, um, "Look, uh, I don't mind staying, you know, uh, if people are listening, but I just got this really bad headache, so I'm gonna like I'll be here for another 15 minutes, but if nobody calls, uh, I'm just gonna go home." So I turned the station. Off oh, and went home. Uh, and if I would have been listening now, if I would have been listening, I would have probably been high listening to that station going, mm. oh, come on, man. <laughs> that kid's going to turn it off. Don't call. <laughs> so you continued to – you, you went to college? No. No. Not until I was 30. Oh, okay. Yeah. So, so what did you do out of high school? Radio. And that's what you were doing until when? Um. Till now. Till now. I'm still doing it. Yeah. <laughs> Till today. I mean, I, I started doing it <laughs> at, fifth, uh, at, thir- at 13. The country station, uh, I think I just made them feel bad. I was like, I lost my other two jobs. And I'm like, okay, kid. So I, I went back to work there. By 16, I was working at the biggest station in Seattle. Oh, wow. Um, uh, by 18, I was working in Washington, D.C. And then – 20, I think, I was doing mornings and programming. Wow. And then you were making fun of this kind of radio that you're doing now. Yeah. So then in in 2000, I get a a job. Because, you know, when I sober up. Pre-Fox? Oh, yeah. Okay. I don't know when you were at Fox. Yeah, no. I was Fox 2008 to 11. Okay, okay. So um, I uh, start doing talk radio. Uh, making fun of everything. I don't want to do television. Um, and uh, it's 2005 and CNN comes to me. Now I'm a conservative and I don't even watch CNN. I really had to, <laughs> I, I really had to ask them where the, what the position was, what number is it? Um, and they, uh, I said, I, I don't want to go do television. I don't want to do any of that. Special cable, especially cable news, and my agent said it'll be good practice. Just go and take uh. the meeting. So I did, and I was sitting in this big, you know, corporate boardroom with all these uh, geeks sitting there, and and I'm the biggest geek sitting at the other end. And they said we want you to do, you know, blah blah blah. And I said I'm not interested. Mm-hmm. And they said we're offering you your own show nationwide, blah blah. blah. And I said, yeah, but it's on cable news. And they said. <laughs> And and I said, have you watched cable news? It's awful. Uh, and so they gave me the opportunity. They said, well, why don't you tell us what you would do? And so I designed the show myself. I had, you know, relative free reign. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, the show was mildly successful. That year, the last year I was there, I was voted the – I was tied for either third or fourth most respected, uh, most admired man in the world. I was, I was 
in between the Pope and Nelson Mandela. Oh, wow. I mean, that's how crazy the country had become. <laughs> uh, and we laughed about it. I remember it came out at Christmas. They do it every year. Yeah. And it came out at Christmas. And somebody called me and said, you're not going to believe this. <laughs> And my whole family laughed about it because yeah. it was so ridiculous. <laughs> With it, I, that January, I went to work at Fox. A year later, I'm one of the most hated people mm. on the planet. And I didn't change the show. Wow. I just changed networks. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. So were you always a conservative? Were you brave? I was born? nothing. Yeah. No, I was kind of nothing. You know, I was, you know, just all about me. Mm-hmm. And so whatever worked out, like I was very, very pro-choice because, you know, you, you might want to have that in your back pocket. <laughs> you know, it wasn't I didn't do any deep thinking uh-huh. on anything. I, when I was 30, I realized you're a moron. <laughs> you know nothing. Oh, this is the realization I had at 35. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And it's good for you. Yeah. And so, I, you know, I, I compiled uh, what I affectionately call the uh, library of a serial killer. <laughs> and uh, in that. Uh, eight to ten years, uh, I read about 7,000 books and just read, 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 read all the time. I would have books in different rooms wherever I was. It was like, you know, you know, surfing channels. Yeah. So that was uh, your college. No, I I actually (laughs) went uh, the day, uh, my first day of college when I was 30 was the day my wife and I decided to get a divorce. Okay. And so that kind of impoverished me. So I only took one semester, but I went to uh, I went to Yale. Okay, uh, and it was amazing. So I was taking undergraduate, you know, uh, class, and and uh, so I'm there with eighteen year olds, and they just looked at me like freak boy. What are you doing? Yeah, here? you know, I was the old man. Who, yeah, they they used to say to me all the time. They say the first time they said I was sitting out in the commons and. And uh, somebody came up to me, a bunch of these students, and they came up to me and they said, uh, could you do that thing with the professor today that you always do? And I said, what thing? You know, you always get him distracted and talking on other things. <laughs> and they just wanted to skate. Yeah. And, uh, and I'm like, well, that's not a thing I do. I, I, I really want to know. And so, you know, I wanted the professors that would push me up against the wall and mm-hmm. I could push them up against the wall. Mm-hmm. And you'd been doing radio all this mm-hmm, time, and mm-hmm. then at thirty, you just took a, a semester at Yale, and that was it. Yeah, and I, uh, I. Or did you finish? No, I didn't finish. Oh, okay. Um, it's amazing what will happen if uh, somebody who you respect uh, says you're smart enough to figure these things out. Mm. You're smart enough. And I, I, you know, when I went back to get my transcripts, I thought I was like a C student. I was mm-hmm. a straight A student, mm-hmm. but I just skated. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? I didn't, I didn't have to work for mm-hmm. it. And I had so convinced myself that I was a dummy. Yeah. And uh, when I went there, the professor told me that was Wayne Meeks. And he said, he reached over and he saw that doubt in my eyes. We were having lunch. And he said, uh, he reached across the table and grabbed my hand and he said, you realize you belong here, right? You're smart <laughs> enough to be here. Uh-huh. And I said, not really. I feel <laughs> like a fraud. And he said, you are. Yeah. You're, you're smart enough. Um, and that changed my world. Uh, changed my world. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah. I recently 
someone I really respect, my uncle, very smart, um, conservative, actually. Yeah. But he was, I was thinking of going to Columbia because I was feeling like a moron. And they have this great adult undergrad program for yeah, people yeah, like yeah. me. And yeah. he was like, what are you doing? You don't need to do that. You know, here's what I here's what <laughs> Wayne Meeks did say to me. He said, "What are you reading?" And I gave him a list and he said, "Who is guiding you on this?" And I said, "Me. I'll read one thing and then I look for who that person was inspired by or who mm-hmm. that person was the opposite of mm-hmm. and I'll go buy that book." And mm-hmm. I so I just kind of there were like wormholes. The books mm-hmm. are like wormholes to me. And uh he said, you know, you, you, you could use some guidance um, <laughs> of being able to sort through so you don't get way off off track. And I think that's the only thing. I don't need an institution to tell me what to think. Mm-hmm. I'd like them to help me learn how to think. Right. And I feel like that's what's become a little bit lost today. And that's why my uncle, he was saying – you are learning what you need to learn by talking to all of these people and mm-hmm. then you'll ha- have a question and then you'll go get a book up about it. But mm-hmm. I feel like maybe we all need your reading list. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's, um, I think it's, it is a hard thing to, you know, when I first started getting sober, there were areas of my life I didn't want to go to, mm-hmm. you know, I didn't want to look in. I was the one that, you know, my mom committed suicide and, we had really bad stuff and and uh i didn't you know i people say well you had a bad childhood and i hated that mm. i hated that what an excuse you mm-hmm. had a bad childhood and I, you know i was like everybody has a bad childhood and i'm fine with it you're fine with your mom's suicide i'm fine with it no i'm How totally old were fine you? uh 14 wow that's yeah. young and we were really close mm. and uh and so i'm sorry yeah, did you kill her no but i'm sorry <laughs> for your loss you know, my father said, because I carried that around mm-hmm. inside, mm-hmm. Uh, you know, that that was tough. And I'm convinced that to the universe, there is no good or bad. Mm-hmm. It just is. Mm-hmm. And uh, you can look at that and say, oh, poor me, it was really horrible or whatever. Or you can look at it and say, yeah, but it got me here. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, Even the worst things in my life. You know, some of the toughest parts of your life are the things that you later look back on and go, that was an amazing time period. Yeah. Because you were learning so much. And struggling. Yeah. That's why I love the desert so much. I always, Joshua Tree is my church. That's Uh, where I go to see the the stars. But there's something about everything that's evolved under the harshest conditions to survive. Yeah. And it's so beautiful. And when it blooms, it's even more beautiful because it's so rare. It's just. That's part of the society that I just despise. Everybody's celebrating victims Mm -hmm. and you're only a victim to yourself. Mm -hmm. You know, you Mm -hmm. victimize, you might, something might've happened to you that was not your fault, et cetera. And tragic things happen. But you're re-victimizing yourself every single day until you realize, wait a minute, you know, God doesn't make bad things or good things happen. You know, y- you are. Mm-hmm. So you're, you had that experience. Now find the meaning behind mm-hmm. that experience. And I think that this, I, it's funny because this is why I created this podcast, because I think 
a lot of the times we get in the space of talking about how I can't stand the culture of victimhood. I didn't want to get caught in the trap of only talking about that. And so I love hearing people's stories of resilience and grit. So my whole way of dealing with something I don't Mm -hmm. like is to put the opposite thing out there. So if there's a culture of victimhood, then let's tell stories of grit and survival and people who have overcome hardship and what, and I can do this. It's called walk-ins welcome because I can do it with literally anyone. Every single person has a story Mm -hmm. of their own personal survival. And the reason the tribalism and the the other and the fighting is that it, it tricks people into thinking the problem is outside of them and the war is outside of them when it's really the battle in my experience has been against myself. So I used to say, uh, um, I hate people. I used to really believe I hated people. And then I sobered up and I dealt with the things that were inside of me. And I found myself loving people, Mm -hmm. even people that disagreed with, I love to hear their story Mm -hmm. and what was going on in their life where I wouldn't have done that for a second. It, it was never them, mm. you know? It, it's, it's amazing to me how, how the people that, generally speaking, the people that we all look up to, you know, in, in culture, they're some of the worst people alive. <laughs> they really are really bad because they start to buy their own crap. Right, right. And nobody will tell them, dude, get over yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, Did you have a moment like this in your life where you started buying into your own crap at all? And someone was like, dude. Not really. Only probably between eight and 40. (laughs) (laughs) It's hard not to, though, I imagine. It is. It's hard when you are successful. I mean, you've been famous for a long time. And fa- I see it out in L.A. People, it does. It definitely affects your perception of the world. If I hadn't had, I mean, I had small success. Mm-hmm. You know, by the time I was twenty-one, and this is back in the eighties. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm making half a million dollars a year, and I have small local fame. Mm-hmm. You know, and I bought into all of it uh and uh and then i bottomed out at 30 Mm. and just lost everything Mm -hmm. my family everything lost everything and i realized the only thing that means anything is integrity Mm. you know being able to look somebody in the eye and say this i believe to be true Mm -hmm. and that's all i wanted back and that's been a game changer for me that's interesting. Um, but also made the last 10 years since I went to Fox hell uh, because, you know, everybody makes mistakes and I made my share of mistakes and I try to admit them and I credit, I, you know, I, I will admit to it and I will try to correct it mm-hmm. and I lead with my mistakes. But so much of the stuff that is out there about me is so untrue, not even mm. close to true some of the stuff that I was doing because I did a lot of comedy. So some of the stuff I saw, I stopped trying to do comedy about 2009 because everything I said was being taken out and twisted for right. political purposes. And it's, it's bothered me deeply mm-hmm. that my credibility is blown. Some of it for my reasons, mm-hmm. uh, but a lot of it because of, 
political reasons. Mm -hmm. And you don't get, I got a second chance. Right. And I don't think you get a third one. Yeah. So why do you, in terms of having your credibility blown, why is that just because of the. Look what they're doing to you now. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. I was really kind of the prototype. I was. Yeah. When I, when I, and there was just a book written by Cheryl Atkinson, and the first chapter is on me being the one that they practiced on and experimented on, <laughs> and and the first one to fully have the machinery come out. Right, after. right. Um, and you don't get that back. You don't get your reputation back. Mm, you don't. Mm. I mean, I was doing the same show on CNN as I did on Fox, mm-hmm. and I was saying the same things and most admired man to absolute villain. Mm-hmm. How does that happen? How does that happen? Partly my mistakes, but what were your mistakes? Oh, tons. Just, I just want to know. Selfishly. So yeah, 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 like yeah. Uh, no, you know, <laughs> this is about me <laughs> believing. <laughs> Tell me what this to avoid. Good. I think one of my biggest mistakes, and this is not the, the stuff that you'll read about that I've already talked about a million times. But I think one of my biggest mistakes was being so naive to think two things that one, if you are not on the politically popular side, Mm -hmm. uh, that you can, you can use entertainment and comedy and everything to draw the crowd and then put truth into it when the crowd is there and expect people to be honest brokers Mm. with that. I really thought that if I, I spent a million dollars a year just on research uh, on Fox. Wow. I wanted, I was probably the only person to ever work in TV and lose money. (laughs) (laughs) Um, uh, But I wanted to make sure I knew I was dead if we got a single fact wrong. Right. And so um, we really tried to be buttoned up because my theory was, there's going to be some people, you know, in the press that will watch the show. They may hate me or whatever, but they'll go, you know, that's a pretty strong case. And he did show the documents and he showed the video and I should at least look into that. Nobody did. Mm. Nobody in mainstream media. It just turn a blind eye. There's there's very few honest brokers. And that's that I think is one of the biggest problems with our country is mm. If you go into a conversation and you're not willing, you're just trying to win. You're not willing to actually sit there with a person you may despise. And if they bring up a good point that you didn't know, for you not to say, oh, now, wait a minute. If that's true, I didn't know that. Mm -hmm. If that's true, I may be wrong. Mm -hmm. If you're not willing to do that, and nobody is. Nobody is. Nobody is. Yeah. There's no use to even having a conversation. Yeah. I think the benefit that I have is that I don't know anything. (laughs) (laughs) And I don't, you know, people always, I was very self-conscious because I would get in my head about doing interviews and feeling like I could already hear the people online saying like, she didn't push back here and she didn't push back here because I wouldn't even know where to push back because I'm just kind of a curious i sometimes feel like a a, like child in the world a little bit where i'm like this is all so new crazy Mm -hmm. and it is funny to view once that kind of curtain is pulled back 
in terms of, you know, with that what media bias, the kind of meme yeah. where you recognize that there, oh, there is a media bias. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and I've, I was talking to you earlier when we were not on, on the radio, but we, and I was saying, you know, I kind of feel like an idiot the deeper into this I go because I'm like, you guys, there's a media bias. <laughs> you had no idea. And you're all like, yeah, no shit. Yeah. <laughs> like, but you welcome, know what? Bridget. <laughs> My biggest mistake. And I think it's our, it's, I think it's everybody's biggest mistake right now. It is, at least it was mine. Mm. Certitude. Mm. I was certain that I was right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I had done enough research, but the more, the older I get, the more I learn, the more I realize I'm not certain of anything. Mm-hmm. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Mm-hmm. It, it's, you know, it's like butter. Butter's bad for you. Then butter's good for right. you. Then butter's bad for you. Then they come out and butter's good now for it's you. Good for you again. Right. It's kind of like that. You know, <laughs> you're like, I, I, I think this is the way it is, but somebody's going to come out with something mm-hmm. else and show that it's not quite right. Yeah. Scientists have it made because scientists can say the science of the past was wrong. <laughs> this is absolutely right. Mm-hmm. And then when there's a new development, they'll say the science of the past was wrong. Right. This is absolutely right. And they never have to say, and by the way, I was the guy who was absolutely wrong. Right. If you, you know what I mean? It's like Pluto. Right. Pluto's like become a planet and not, not a planet. planet. And then I but think now it's I back. Think it's yeah. <laughs> right. Exactly right. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, and, more people need to say that. Mm-hmm. And that's I what I, I think actually that's what uh, is likable about you <laughs> is you don't know and you're not afraid to say I don't know. Mm-hmm. Now that becomes a bimbo really quickly no, if totally. you don't – you know, if you're like – you know, in 20 years you're still like, well, I just don't know. Just don't know. <laughs> it's funny. My cousin and I have this ongoing joke where I like to play like that. I'm just a little girl when I was like out at bars back right. in the years. I'm like, yeah. just a little girl. I don't know how to order these fancy drinks. <laughs> As you're shooting heroin. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and so – and we were saying that the other day because it, it – what what's true is true for me right now and that I don't know that much. I don't know. It's the best place to be. It is. And then people say kind of stay focused on the forest. Don't get lost in the trees of policy and all that stuff. But inevitably, I have to – inevitably, those questions come up. Inevitably, I kind of – But you know what? Those questions are answered because uh, when, I, when I first decided, okay – I know what I want, and what mm-hmm. I want is to be to live a life of integrity. Mm-hmm. And and then you couple that with, but you're a boo. <laughs> you have yeah. no idea what you're talking about. I took everything out. I actually got you said something earlier today, and I don't remember what it was, but see if it rings a bell because I thought I thought of this with me when I heard you telling a story today. I thought that's exactly what I went through. I was reading Carl Sagan's book. A Demon Haunted World. Have you mm-hmm. ever read that? Mm-mm. Really good. And so I'm reading that. And in it, he's talking about future tech. Now, this is mm-hmm. like in the 90s, early 90s. And he's talking about future tech and how eventually it's going to get so complex that you're going to basically have to take it on faith. And you'll go to the the tech guy who is your priest and you'll say, can you just make this magic box work? Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. We're there now. No, this happened to me in between me being here and coming back with my phone. Right. 
you don't know how it works. You don't understand. And you're just like, can you make it work? So he was talking about warning. People can control you when you get that. But he was comparing it at one point to the Catholic Church. Now, mm. I was a Catholic growing up. Okay. But I'm not a Catholic. And I didn't at this time. I was I was never going to church. <laughs> I didn't believe in anything mm. that they were talking about. And he was saying something about the Catholic Church, and I snapped it closed, and I threw it down on the bed, and I was like, all of a sudden, I thought to myself, what the <laughs> hell? Where is that coming from? Because I was, I was out, I just outraged that someone would say that about something that I clearly don't believe in. Right? You know what I mean? And and I realized at that moment, I have all of these passions mm. built into me, and they're all. Bogus. They're right. all paper. I didn't know or believe anything except those things that had been taught to me. Right. You know, somebody had taught me very carefully these particular things. And I didn't believe in anything because I had found it. Right. So I took everything out of me mm-hmm. and then went and I tried to find this, thus the library of a serial killer, people who disagreed with each other mm-hmm. and I would read both sides and where they both said the same thing. That's true. Yeah. Uh, and, and so then I would put things back into me, big principles right. back into me. And if I would then say, Oh, you know what? I believe this, but it disagreed with the other things that I had, I have to take them all back out because one of them is wrong. And so once you get the big principles right, you don't have to really think much right. because you know the big principle. And so, for instance, on the border, and you'll get in trouble for this all the time, especially now, but on the border, when Barack Obama was in, nobody was talking about the cages. I was down at the border, mm-hmm. but I wasn't down at the border to talk about the cages I went and I tried from my audience to raise about $5 million mm-hmm. to be able to bring clothing, food, everything that everybody is saying now. The government is not th- – these kids are still wearing the same clothes. Mm-hmm. Well, that was happening under Obama. Mm-hmm. My my big principle was these are kids. Right. These are people. Right. And we cannot forget the human side of this of this argument. I am for strong borders. I am for not inviting people to come in the middle of the night. But they're here now right. and they're on our soil. And I want to make sure I want to send them home. But I want to send them home with the idea that these Americans came and they helped us and yeah. they listened to us and they treated us with respect. Someday I'm going to go back the right way because I want to be with those people. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. So when you have the big principles, it's easy. Mm-hmm. I'm for law and order, mm-hmm. but I'm also for compassion. Right. So I can do both of those. Where right now, society is telling you you can't. No, I know. It's really weird. It's, it's wrong. It's bad. Yeah, it's very bad. Yeah. We stop. Once you stop seeing the humanity in one another, mm-hmm. and and I know this firsthand because, you know, at the height of, of the insanity in my life, you know, as far as popularity, I was a cartoon. Right. I was neither – I was not the guy that either side said. Right. Oh, he is just – he is the fourth most admired. I was not. Right. That's not me. That's a cartoon of me. Mm-hmm. 
And I wasn't the most evil man. Mm-hmm. I'm, I, human. I'm human. Right. And now we're all characters because of social Everybody. media. Everybody. Yeah. Everybody. And I do think the human, the human part is what has every side is demonizing the other side. And I was just saying this to somebody about Trump the other day. If he didn't demonize, like call Mexicans rapists, he'd actually probably have a lot more support from the would. Latino I was community. Just, just left a meeting a minute ago. With somebody who's a big supporter of his, and uh, he said, what do you think the president needs to do to be able to win? And I said, what do you think the president – because I know this guy talks to him all the time. He said, he needs to start talking more about we and not I. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, ding, ding, good ding. Black. There's a good one. Yeah. You'll never and And that he's got to stop – demonizing people. Right. That's the biggest thing. Right. If he would turn and become presidential. Right. And say, look, we're all in this together. Right. And everybody's trying to split apart. And I've even be a, I've been a part of that. Mm-hmm. And I will tell you that facts are facts, mm-hmm. that there is media bias, mm-hmm. but I'm not going to call people losers. I'm not going to be doing these kinds of things. And you don't need to say that the press is the enemy of the people. So even if there is media bias, you don't need to stoke the fu- the flames of... of <laughs> Anybody who is knowingly lying to the American people, and that doesn't include everybody by any stretch Mm -hmm. but it does include some people on both sides Mm -hmm. or all sides Mm -hmm. Um, anybody who is knowingly lying you are an enemy of the people Mm -hmm. that's truth once once you stop once you stop uh people from wanting to find the truth um they they no longer will know how to find the truth and once lies are the norm, you won't be able to recognize the truth. That's like – but it seems like everyone's lying everywhere you turn. I I just found out yesterday that the whole birtherism thing was started by Hillary Clinton's campaign mm-hmm. when she was running yeah. against Obama. Yeah. I had no idea. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I know. <laughs> that's like, what's oh, so fr- welcome, Bridget. I know. No, but it's so – that's what's so frustrating. And you said to me, you know, people are going to – you know, audiences on both sides, when you say things like that, they'll be like, oh, welcome to the party and yeah. be pissed at you. Actually, at least for conservatives, they're thrilled mm-hmm. when somebody opens their eyes and like – Wait a minute. <laughs> You're like, yes, yes, yes. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I imagine that that is it's funny too because I don't we were talking about this on the radio, just how the where you live, I think, informs more of how you're reacting to a lot of this stuff going on. Mm-hmm. So I live in an extraordinarily liberal city. James Lindsay lives in he lives like out in in the south. Mm-hmm. And he and I will talk because he's a little bit of my totem, you know, mm-hmm. like, mm-hmm. don't let me go too far down <laughs> the rabbit hole. And like, <laughs> just, because it's hard, you start reacting to whatever is coming your way. And I understand how people do get pushed because you're being rejected and people are calling you names. And then you're like, I'll show you. It, it's just reaction. Horrible. Yeah. And, and he will remind me to, you know, he's like, well, there is racism and he's in a place where he's exposed to the uh, kind of dark side of the right more often yeah. 
whereas I'm exposed to the dark side of the left. And so he's, I feel like, a little bit able to stay a little more <laughs> anchored. <laughs> anchored, yeah. Because yeah. there is, I mean, anybody who says, you know, one side is always right and one side is always wrong is wrong. I mean, I grew up in the Pacific Northwest. We didn't have busing. We didn't have anything, at least that I saw. Okay. It was it just wasn't a problem. Why so. doesn't busing have two S's? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, but that is a very I'm just important learning about question. busing, but <laughs> yeah. my first question is why didn't it have it drives me crazy every time. <laughs> that is great. Um but I remember the first time I really saw it. I thought I was being set up. I thought I was like on some sort of, you know, hidden camera thing. <laughs> I was in, uh, might have been Birmingham, might have been uh, Memphis. I, I don't remember. But I'm at this really nice theater. I'm getting ready to do a show. Mm-hmm. And I'm standing there with the general manager of the theater, the mayor of the town, and the police chief. Mm-hmm. And uh, we were, you know, just chatting. And I said, well, I got to go. And I really, I said to the general manager, I I like to start right on time. Uh, so even if people aren't seated, just hold them, you know, for a while and there'll be a break and you can open it up. But I, I want to start right on time. And they all laughed. And one said, well, you can't do that because you're on colored standard time. Oh, Jesus. I know. <laughs> and I uh, he actually said uh, a CST. We're on <laughs> CST here. And I think it's CST. And they said, "Colored standard time." Oh my god! And everybody laughed. And I, and I, st- I, I think at least in my head, I kind of looked around, like, <laughs> "Is this a setup?" Yeah. And they were serious, and yeah. I said, "What's colored standard time?" And they said, "Oh, you just can't get colored people to show up for anything on time." <laughs> I was like, "Okay, I'm gonna leave <laughs> and go backstage and do a show." <laughs> yeah. It was bizarre. It was bizarre. Yep, yep. It definitely, and this happened kind of to you today on the radio. Yeah. (laughs) So he's like, like, I agree with you 100%, and that's why we got to get rid of Asians. (laughs) You're like, what? You're like, no, that's not what I'm saying. (laughs) That's not what I'm saying. My very first real death threat that involved the FBI came right after 9-11, and it was a Palestinian guy. And I was saying on the air, I, I don't know who's right, who's wrong. On I, I, I'm a dummy. I don't mm-hmm. know. I haven't gotten to that, hey, what do we do with the old Israel thing mm-hmm. yet? And my opinion at the time was they could both just fall into a giant sinkhole and it wouldn't affect my life. So why am I, <laughs> why am I even thinking about this? And I and so I was talking about it, and I said I'm I'm going to do my research on both sides, and I'm going to go there, and I'm going to talk uh, to people, and blah 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 blah. I feel like I need to do this. Yeah. So so I went so I went to Israel, and I sat down with Palestinians, and I sat down with Israelis, and it's amazing because the Palestinians will tell you something different if you don't have a microphone or a camera. Uh, uh, not everybody, uh-huh. but the leadership won't, but the yep. people will. And so I came back and I had a real eye-opening experience in, on one of the, you know, one of the pathways in uh, Jerusalem where it switches from the Palestinian section to the Israeli section. And so I, I was talking about this and this guy calls up and he's a Palestinian and he said, we are not killers because at the time everybody was, you know, this was the height right after 9-11. 
And uh, he's like, you got to stop saying that uh, these Muslims were killers uh, and the Palestinians are at fault because we're not killers. We're not killers. And if you keep saying that, I will chop your head off myself. <laughs> it's like, okay. You should listen back to yourself. Yeah, we should play that back for you. Yeah. I feel like there's some conflicts yeah. there. Yeah. Yeah, that's that. And you're so you're Mormon now. Weird, isn't it? How did that come about? I don't know, but I wish I could do it all over again. I mean, I, I it's my, such a random. So you didn't believe in religion. You got sober. No, I believed in God. I didn't believe in religion. Right, right. I still that's don't. where I started when i got sober yeah i still don't really believe in religion mm. but um i asked my my now wife to marry me okay and she is she's remarkable um i'm alive today because of her. uh-huh and um she said no and i'm like but look at this package <laughs> and uh after she stopped making the vomiting sounds she said no and i said why and she said, uh, because we don't have God in common. And I said, no, we don't have religion in common. Okay. And she's, she's Mormon? No. Oh. She was Catholic. Oh. But she didn't really buy into it either, but she went every Sunday, and then she would come over to my house on Sundays after church. Right. And I would have made brunch or something, and she'd come over, and she was always pissed off about something that happened in the parking lot. You know, right. they'd get out, and they're screaming at each I other. Know. And I, I would say to her every Sunday, and you know what? I am. I sat in my pajamas all morning, yeah. and I watched HBO, saw a great movie. I'm in a good mood. Yeah. You went to church, and yeah. look at you're upset. So I said, you know, we're not going to – I can't do church. And uh, she said, well, we can't get married if we can't find something we can both do together. Uh. It won't last. Uh. And so we went on this church tour. And oh. we went to – we actually went to a place where the uh, pastor or minister said in the sermon, look, you all know that I don't believe in God. <laughs> but if there were a God – and I looked at my wife and I went, I didn't know that he didn't believe in God. Did you know? I think we need a church where the guy actually believes or at least one that puts it out on the front door. <laughs> yeah. Our pastor doesn't believe in God. That's crazy. Uh, yeah. So it was crazy. So we went to all kinds of uh -huh. different things. And uh, I, I know a lot of Mormons and it's a hard religion to live. And with the extra added benefit is nobody likes you. Right. And so uh, he yeah. called me and he said, hey, I hear you're on a church tour. And I said, Yes. And he said, when are you going to get to the M's in the yellow pages? And I said, never. <laughs> and he said, oh, I thought you were actually seeking truth. I didn't know that you had limits on the truth. And I'm like, you suck. Uh... So I went and uh, and really reluctantly, I mean, on the way there, I was telling my kids, don't eat anything. <laughs> Don't talk to anybody, and I'm pointing out the coffee shops that we're going to afterwards. Kids, you're going to start drinking coffee uh -huh. on the way home. And I went, and uh, I – in the because it's three hours, another downside, three hours. They just changed it. It's now two. But at that time, it was three hours. All the churches are getting disnified. Yeah, yeah. They are. So we're, I tried to escape after hour one because – you know, it's unfair to the other faiths, so we're only getting an hour right. of my time. Right. Uh, and I got trapped uh, because they knew, because my friend had called and said he's going to try to get out of there after. 
And the second hour, you can ask questions. And so I raised my hands. I looked at my wife and I said, oh, we'll be in the parking lot in five minutes. Uh And she said, don't embarrass me. (laughs) And uh, so I raised my hand and I said, can anyone here tell me where Gandhi is? And the class got really quiet and the teacher said, what do you mean? And I said, seems like a cool dude. See, has a lot in common with Jesus. Neither of them wore pants. Uh, they both loved peace. But Gandhi knew who Jesus was, knew what he claimed, and said he didn't believe in him. So he had the choice. He made the wrong choice. So where is Gandhi expecting them to say, oh, he's burning in an eternal lake of fire in hell? Mm-hmm. And they said, well, nobody knows. But And I said, but he's in hell. And they said, no, there is no hell. Oh. And I was like, whoa, 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 wait a minute, what? They don't uh, have hell? No. Oh, what is it? Just um, it's, this earth that we're living now? <laughs> <laughs> it's pretty much this. Uh, no, it's uh, it's a distance from God. And, and you, mm. you really are the one kind of holding yourself back from the full experience of God. Um, I mean, that if, is my experience of it. It is. Yeah. It's your shame. It's your, you know, it's like, uh, you know, my my aunt, she was turning 70, 75, and I didn't call her on her birthday, and I felt really bad, and then I didn't call her the next week, and then it got to be like six months, and now I'm like, I cannot call my aunt now. Mm-hmm. Now it's too late, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and when I finally did call her, I said, I'm so sorry I missed your birthday. I just, and I've been crazy. And she said, don't even worry about it. I'm just so glad you called. Yeah, exactly. That's the way God's going to be. Yeah, yeah. And that's the idea, I think, of redemption is working that every day. It's easier to forgive other people. It's super hard to forgive yourself. Oh, yeah. And if you can't forgive yourself, there is no progression, Mm -hmm. you know? And it's hell. This is my description of Mm -hmm. it. Hell is being in your bedroom. And, you know, somebody has said, Bridget, calm down. And you're like, no, no, I can't because of whatever it is you feel. And you're hearing that party and you're not going to it. Mm -hmm. And you can't face the people in the party, but there's nothing you want more Mm -hmm. than to be there. That's hell enough. Yeah. That's hell enough. So Gandhi could be, I don't know, sitting on God's lap. I don't know what they're doing. (laughs) Yeah. But I feel like that's so much of addiction, too. And that's yes. why it's so hard to get sober because yeah. you kind of hear that light, but you can't – You we were talking about this earlier. You have to face yourself. Yeah. And facing yourself is – and then all the other people and the repercussions, but yeah. the first person you really have is to you. face is you. Yeah. That's the hardest one. I didn't go home for three years when I was getting sober because I just needed to face myself before yeah. I could look at – it's like oh, I used to go home and feel like all this drama was – with yep. all these people, and I'm like, oh, yeah. <laughs> I was the problem. Yeah. <laughs> I see that now. Mm-hmm. I owe a lot of amends, but mm-hmm. it took it, it even to be able to do that. Mm-hmm. That's why I think if somebody can go to rehab, <laughs> if they're in that opportunity, that place, it's so helpful just to pull them out so they can take that 30 or 60 days and incubate. It's, it's like <laughs> I was saying earlier, we were talking about, you know, with celebrities or with me or whatever. If you don't love yourself and if you're not comfortable and confident in your own skin, 
you are the source of most of the problems around you. Mm-hmm. And you're going to be miserable. <laughs> going to be miserable. It won't matter how much money or fame right. or or anything matter. that you have. Uh-uh. So what is your darkest night of the soul that you've had to overcome? You can interpret that however you want. And how did you overcome it? So I feel like there have been three chapters in my life. Mm-hmm. And I'm just starting, I think, my you know, fourth section of my life story. And I, this, I think, is probably my last section of mm-hmm. the book. Not, not unless you live to 2030. <laughs> yeah, then it'll never die. Yeah. <laughs> um, but uh, another conversation. Um, so I've, I've talked about, you know, the one in the first section and the second with mm-hmm. alcoholism. Mm-hmm. I don't think I've ever really talked about the one that I'm just coming out of now. Mm. And that is fame and fortune is the most corrupt. It's battery acid to the soul. Mm -hmm. It's battery acid. Mm -hmm. And if you don't get out in time um, and get away from it and, and call it the imposter to yourself, not out to yourself, call that imposter for what it is, you will begin to really want it and expect it. And when I left Fox, I left because I, I, you know, wasn't an audible voice, but I just knew I heard if you don't leave now, you won't leave with your soul mm. because it was starting to be fun and it was starting to be important to have that sway. There's nothing more intoxicating than shifting your weight you know, from one foot for the other, and you can feel the whole ship move. Mm. You know what I mean? When you're doing that with a country where you say mm-hmm. something or whatever and the country shifts mm-hmm. just a little bit, it's amazing. Oh, yeah, I bet. Okay? It's amazing. And Yeah, you can move the needle. <laughs> yeah, you can move the needle. And you then start to think, well, I've got to have this because I, I have this ability to be able to do that. And I can move it for good. Mm. And so if I do, if I'm not doing it, well, who's going to fight that battle? And you just start going crazy. Mm-hmm. And so I got out at the right time. However, there is no rehab. <laughs> you know, there is yeah. no there is no medication for when you're coming down off of that. Uh. And as you see your, you know, my it is a blessing. To have my Q score, you know what a Q score is? No. I don't even know if they have Q scores anymore. But I think they do. Okay, so Q score is how many people in the country know you, right. what your impact is. Right. My Q score, Donald Trump's is like 100%. Right. My Q score used to be like 96, 98%. My Q score now is about 65, uh-huh. which is why... Your sister didn't know who I was. Right. There's about 30% of the country now that doesn't know who I am. Right. Totally cool. That's good for me because right. if everybody knows who you are, everybody thinks they know who you are. Right. And you have right. no place to go. That's who you are. Mm-hmm. And you can't change anybody's mm-hmm. mind. So it's a blessing to have that Q score go down. But it is also you feel like you have less and less impact. Mm-hmm. You know, you said – earlier that what am i doing it's not worth it mm-hmm. i don't have to work 
I don't. Right. I don't have to work. And, <laughs> and you work so hard. Right. Every and, day. And I don't and I I'm constantly trying to find ways to get people to listen on little things like the individual matters mm-hmm. or like we talked about with technology earlier mm-hmm, today. Mm-hmm. That's important stuff. Right. And I can't I can't shift my weight. I've got to work 10 times harder to get that out. Right. And and so when you first leave, when I first let left Fox, no matter how hard you try, that is so intoxicating. Oh yeah. I and when it goes away, you have to constantly fight yourself from saying, no, you're not irrelevant. Mm. You're just normal. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. You have the normal impact. Mm-hmm. All of that was a lie. Mm-hmm. Um, and so for about five years, I was just worthless to wow. myself. And I'm still battling it. I'm wow. still battling it. But I think I'm, you know, I just realized the other day that my life is in chapters. My life is in sections of mm-hmm. a book. And I'm just now beginning to write what probably would be the last section of my book. So now what am I going to do? Right. And leave that last section alone. Right. That, that last section is is history and does not affect you right. for the future right. unless you bring it along. Right. It's interesting because my dad recently retired recently and he had a hard time with it. He's been working his whole life and suddenly it's, it, what do you do? What, who am I? What am I doing? And he had a stents put in his heart because mm-hmm. he was, they almost had a heart. He almost had a heart attack and mm-hmm. then they sent him to a counselor to deal with the stress and, in that around that period, they were talking about retirement and what that meant. And his he had this great counselor who told him, you know, the your work years are over, and now this chapter of your life is the spiritual chapter. Mm-hmm. And essentially, it's when you get right with God, and when mm-hmm. you spend time with your grandkids, and spend time with your mm-hmm. g- garden and 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 nature. And what's amazing is, first of all, I don't believe in retirement. It's the only, you know, it gets spiritual on you. Um, Hebrew is God's language. That's mm-hmm. all the scriptures. Well, the one word that does not exist in the Hebrew language is retirement. Yeah. There is no retirement. Um, you're constantly progressing. But you can change. Mm-hmm. I was a guy who didn't want children at all. I have four children now. Mm-hmm. And I I didn't want children. Mm-hmm. I didn't want to be a dad. I had a bad dad and, and just all these things. I, When I left Fox, I thought I am going to focus on my family because I, I didn't focus enough mm-hmm. in the past. And uh, now it, it's, that's really – I keep I, – we have a ranch up in the mountains. Mm-hmm. And I went for two weeks because my son is going through – you know, 15 year old mm. stuff that kids are going through mm. now, and he mm. became it's suicidal, mm. and it was, it's terrifying. Yeah. And, uh, and especially with my history. Yeah. And, yeah. Uh, so I spent two weeks with him. I spent, you know, I've, I've, for the last year, I've just been right by his yeah. side. But finally, uh, this summer, 
we went up to the ranch for two weeks and then worked and then we flew home and then the next week we drove back up. So mm-hmm. we did a cross country trip, just the two of us, and and worked together, uh, you know, physical labor. Yeah. And it was the best thing that I've ever done. And it just feels right. Mm-hmm. And my wife came up at the end. She was going to drive back, her and my uh, youngest daughter. And we were going to drive back. And I just kept saying to them, let's not go. Mm. Let's not go. There's no reason to go back. Mm-hmm. I don't miss anything. <clears throat> yeah. Why do we have to go? Yeah. But you get perspective. You get different perspective. And that's part of it. You're supposed to be idealistic and think you can change the world in your 20s mm-hmm. and then then when you're older you get perspective and you learn some things that the secret is to not become calloused not mm. not to calcify your thinking mm-hmm. my father i knew my father was going to die when because my father read his whole life uh, he always had a book i got reading i think from him and uh he was always learning and one day I called him because we became close for about a 15-year period of my life. Mm-hmm. And it was right when I needed my dad. Mm-hmm. And um, he, I realized that he had, read every, he had read everything. He had really done his homework. Right. Um, and I would call him up and say, Dad, have you read this book? He said, yes, you should read this book. And uh, he'd send me a book and I'd send him a book. Mm-hmm. And we were reading together. And one day he was about – Oh, 79 or 80. And I called him. I told him all about this book. I said, you got to read it, Dad. You're going to love it. And he said to me, okay. And I said, you're not going to read it, are you? And he said, I'm tired. Mm. I don't think so. He was done learning. Right. He was dead. Right. You know, he was dead within a couple of years. Oh, wow. Yeah. Wow. That's kind of like my friend, Henny, who passed same thing. He just, and he passed young, but he was same, always so curious, new languages, he was Egyptian, spoke, read hieroglyphics, was an artist, a genius. And then he started, his son says he started going on Facebook and he started just arguing with people on Facebook and he's like, and and I, he thinks that's why he died. (laughs) I I think, you know, I, it's amazing because arguing with each other on Facebook, there's nobody learning. No, you're just trying to win, and you're just you're just caught in this. You're calcified. Calcified. Yeah. And uh, you know, Jesus uh, Jesus said, "Come to me like a child." Mm-hmm. And raising kids, what that means is they're constantly asking why. Mm-hmm. And and it, the minute you stop asking why, you're done. Yeah, you are. So my last two questions I ask of all of my guests are, what is your biggest defect of character that you have to work against? And and again, you can kind of interpret that however you want. It can be over life or daily or... Greed or selfishness. Mm, that's a good one. I like, I mean... Look I don't at think my, that we've had that one yet. Really? Mm-hmm. Look at my studio. Yeah. I'm a collector. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. And I like collecting things. Mm-hmm. And uh, I wish I didn't. Mm-hmm. I wish I spent less on things and more on people. Mm-hmm. Saving, helping, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. We do we do a lot. 
uh, right. as a family and, mm-hmm. and, and, and I do. But I just bought a new car. Uh-huh. It's a car I've wanted ever since I was a kid. It's the last real fully handmade car. Everything is handmade. Wow. It is. It's stunning. Wow. And I love it. And I was driving it yesterday. And as I was loving it, I thought of the last scene of Schindler's List <laughs> because I'm doing a museum now where $20 will say, we'll buy a human being. We can get them out of slavery for $20. Wow. Okay. Um, when we first started this project, it was $20,000 a person. Mm-hmm. We've lost two operatives have been killed on our team going in and rescuing these slaves. Wow. I mean, it's, it's amazing. And we have saved 30,000 people and moved them out of danger in the last four years. In, just in religious slaves, we're well over 100. With sex slaves, we're in the thousands. Mm-hmm. Um, but as I was driving here, I thought of that scene. And I thought, how many slaves could I save mm-hmm. if I would just buy a normal car. <laughs> what is wrong with you? Yeah. There's a Dave Matthews song actually where he contemplates that. He says for the price of a Coke or a smoke, I could keep alive those hungry eyes talking about how you can sponsor kids yeah. or Yeah. And then what's your greatest asset? I always think this is the harder one of the two, actually. Can I answer it my wife? Yeah. My wife. You can. Yeah. She is, I'd be so dead for Mm. so many reasons if it wasn't for her. She has taught me so much. She has taught me how to live and how to love and how to let go. She has, uh, she is my balance. Mm -hmm. I can go into, you know, Bergdorf Goodman's is Mm -hmm. okay. Department store. Okay. Um, in New York and it is like, Fancy. Yeah, and it mm-hmm. is. I mean, they'll bring you sandwiches mm-hmm. while you're shot, whatever mm-hmm. you want. They'll, and it's great. And I, I'm a clothes hound and mm-hmm. everything else. And she is the exact opposite. Mm-hmm. She would much rather shop at Target, <laughs> and she's fine. And she hates. She takes. I bought her a ring for our fifth anniversary, and there's a lot of times she will turn it around. It's a large, yeah, diamond. And she'll turn it around on her finger and she'll keep the diamond palm Mm -hmm, side mm -hmm. because she's not flashy, Mm -hmm. you know, and opposites tracked. Right. And um, if she was the kind of person that wanted fame and wanted fortune, oh, my gosh, would I be dead. Mm -hmm, Um, mm -hmm. But she's just so rock solid and knows what's true. Right. You know, she would. Hey, you want to go meet the president? You want to go this? We were, <laughs> we, we were invited to go to Jordan to go to Petra under the king's protection, spend time with the king. And she was like, I'd rather be home with the kids. You know, <laughs> yeah. Like, okay, not me, but okay. Mm, <laughs> you know? Yeah. That's good I love to that have answer. that. That's a great answer. And also gives me hope too. There's so much hope. Yeah. There's so much hope. And there's so much. We're about to enter a time, if we don't screw it up, where man's beyond man's wildest dreams. Things are coming our way that man himself 
probably never could have dreamt. Oh, yeah. And it's just over the horizon. And all we have to do is just do what you're doing right now. And that's realize I I shouldn't be yelling at at people. It's not really my favorite thing to do. Well, thank you. I know you're exhausted. I cannot thank you enough for giving us the time. This was amazing. And thank you. Thank you. I would say, where can we find you? But Always lurking in the darkest (laughs) corner someplace. Yes. Do you have anything you want to plug? No. Okay. No. And we'll live in perpetuity. Thank you. Thank you. It's time for the weekly check-in with Bridget and Cousin Maggie. Hello, Maggie. I'm a YouTube star now. (laughs) I have 2,400 subscribers on YouTube, and I'm going to be a star, Mama. I'm going to be a star. I'm going to be a big star. I'm moving to the city, Mama. I'm moving to the big city, Mama. I'm going to be a star. (laughs) Maggie and I have been saying that, that little one for maybe... 20 years at this point now. Seriously. I'm going to be a big star. I'm moving to the big city. <laughs> and now here I am. 40 year old YouTube star. With 2,400 <laughs> subscribers. <laughs> You're on your way, Bridget. You are on I am going to blow the roof off YouTube in record time. <laughs> it's only going to take me 10 years to get to 100,000 subscribers. Our channel is already 10 years old. We just never posted on it. It's only taken me 10 years to get 2,300 subscribers. (laughs) Probably, I want to say... 15 videos. 2,000 of those subscribers are within the last month. It's only taken me 10 years to get here. And now I'm a star, guys. Watch out. No, I'm kind of obsessed with YouTube now that we're there. Oh, yeah. There's a reason we waited this long. (sighs) Because we knew once we started, we'd have to maintain it. Yeah, because it's this beast you have to feed. That's how it works. Uh Like all of these platforms. Like Facebook hates me because I never feed the algorithm. I want to do a stand-up routine about how the algorithm is like this. This beast you need to feed, you know. We must feed the algorithm. Oh, the algorithm does not like us. Oh, the algorithm gets angry. <laughs> the algorithm will not give us rain if we do not feed it. <laughs> we need to sacrifice things for the algorithm. I mean, people have literally died trying to take Instagram photos. Yep. We must feed the algorithm. We must sacrifice our integrity <laughs> and our soul. And our virgin our virgins. <laughs> the algorithm we must sacrifice it all for the algorithm or the algorithm will not pay attention to me there's nothing worse than being ignored (laughs) we cannot let the algorithm ignore us oh hi ho i won't be ignored i won't be i'm not gonna be ignored what is that from fatal attraction yeah Mm -hmm. glenn close that's one of my favorite gifts and probably scenes hope is like not having it all of a sudden she just got up she's been sleeping the entire time i've been here she just for got hours up. it's ready to well because yeah. it's that time uh yeah so what's going on this week bridget you have so much to be fired up about well i'm in a manic upswing of creativity no i just have a lot going on and i'm i'm feeling overwhelmed and the panic is fueling me 
But it's great. It's exciting. I'm excited. Mm-hmm. I feel like a lot of the time it's doom and gloom around here on these check-ins, perhaps. <laughs> but this is a good week. I'm excited. I feel like we have worked very hard. I it just it's weird because for 20 years I've been pushing towards this. Yep. And I've seen fetishy and I've known it in my head and I knew what the word was, but never. It's like I saw the empire in my brain and it's not necessarily like it's manifested. You know, it, it hasn't like materialized. Right. But I see... I feel like I'm past the point of planting the seeds and now I'm like You're watering to see the, the little shoots come out of the yeah. ground. Yeah. And I'm starting it's maybe not an empire but it's a district. <laughs> <laughs> it's a small neighborhood. <laughs> we are building an empire but we started with the, it's a block. Got to start somewhere. Maybe not even a block. It's like a it's a compound. <laughs> yes, so we shot uh, the weekly dumpster fire, which is now going to be a weekly program on YouTube. Yep, on the Fetasy YouTube must channel. We must the algorithm. <laughs> Check out the Fetasy YouTube channel, and then that's gotten a really, actually, pretty great response. And just the first one, so now it's kind of like, okay, well, I guess we got to keep going with this. And then we put the uncut version on Patreon. Yeah, and we're trying to be very strategic about this. Not not strategic at all, apparently, because we're on 12 platforms. But at the moment, it's kind of everywhere. We're just going to, you know, disseminate all of our <laughs> all of our, co- our content and every place we can until yeah. it infects the find, culture. Find your audience. And that's via social media platforms. But um, yeah, I'm excited about the show. I'm excited about walk ins. We have some really great guests to- yeah, today was fun, and we have great guests coming up, and always great guests. And yep, yep, it's growing. It's growing. It's growing. Got some new. I just need in. every single listener to tell another person about us. Tell one friend about Walkins. Welcome. Mm-hmm. Send them if you like me. it. <laughs> but if you're one of those, but if you're a listener, we're assuming you like it. Unless you're one of those like Howard Stern hate listeners. Yeah. And if you're one of those, tell someone how much you hate us <laughs> so that they can come find out for so themselves. They can hate listen for themselves. <laughs> we need the hate listeners too. We'll they, accept all listeners, love or hate. The hate listeners st- statistically listen more. Yeah. They pay we attention. Don't discriminate against our listeners. No, we need our loyal haters to. Hang on our every word so they can find the exact sentence to misinterpret and cancel me with. <laughs> we need a boycott of Bridget sure Fetasy. Plenty of those sentences out there in the world. <laughs> I don't know, guys. It's exciting. If you've been on, it feels like the ground floor of Microsoft. <laughs> <laughs> okay, maybe not Microsoft. Although I worry because my Twitter addiction is now really monetized. I know. It used to be just like, oh, well, it's, like you know, writing, driving traffic yeah. to, to Patreon. And now it's fully like, well, I have to pay attention because what are we going to talk about on the show this week? My show requires it. And <laughs> now I'm just cooking meth in the basement. And mainlining it while you fully. do. I've turned it fully into breaking, breaking Bridget. 
a show about a girl who got addicted to Twitter and it made her and destroyed her. And it built a media neighborhood. (laughs) (laughs) Before she ultimately flew too close to the sun (laughs) with her YouTube stardom at 5,000 subscribers and fell into the ocean. Like Icarus. And God smote California in <laughs> retaliation. <laughs> what else is new? Not much. I, I mean, we've just been working. Yeah. It's been a lot of work. I feel a little bit workaholic-y. I have, you know, a normal social thing to do tomorrow night, and uh-huh. I feel anxious about it. It's been a lot of work. It's been a lot of work. I need to learn how to just put my phone down, mm-hmm. step away, not be reacting to not worry about it and not be t- mm-hmm. you know I, I'm I'm starting to feel that like pressure in my chest you have to have the ability to disconnect well also just the to-do list in my mind that's I have to be it took me <laughs> it's gonna really upset all of my listeners but it took me like 15 minutes to calm down in acupuncture yesterday <laughs> <laughs> Acupuncturist is so worried about me. <laughs> she do thinks you I'm even, working too hard. Do you even get acupuncture on your tech elbow, bro? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I said that sentence to someone the other day, and I immediately should have self-immolated. <laughs> I can't say immolated. I feel like automatically if you utter the words, I needed to get acupuncture on my (laughs) tech elbow. (laughs) You should just burst into flames. (laughs) The algorithm, it's killed her. (laughs) I feel like actually it's, it's, that is. That's what the algorithm wants. That is what the algorithm wants. That's the price the algorithm demands. If not the ultimate sacrifice, but your life. When you take a picture, Yellowstone. Tech elbow is the gateway to pretty soon I'll be taking a selfie in the Yellowstone or fall off a cliff. (laughs) Hi, Pop. She died doing what she loved. It for the gram. I don't like. Luckily for me, I don't like Instagram. Yep. Yep. Yet. I never didn't like YouTube. I just. You just weren't in it. I just knew that I would get fully yeah. hooked. Yeah. No, you've been Because on it's Instagram like a wonderful a playground of glorious people. I've had nothing but ni- <laughs> nice. Nobody ever loving, says anything mean on YouTube. Never. The YouTube commenters are some of the most gracious, lovely, lovely. people. It's actually, <laughs> I hesitate to say it. Don't I- say it, Maggie. <laughs> the algorithm will punish us. But I won't. The algorithm is less. <laughs> <laughs> This is like when I used to mess with the cookies on Facebook. Oh, yeah. And you just mark every ad offensive. (laughs) Or or I would. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Like some of the most benign ads in the world. You'd just be like, it would be like a spa treatment in in Bermuda. And I'd be like offensive. (laughs) And then I would I would do different things for different ads. And it would start messing. I'd started messing with the at the the head of the algorithm. Mm-hmm. And then I just started getting ads for shrinks. And uh-huh. I was like, well played algorithm. 
Well played. <laughs> it first start, it started advertising lesbian things and Republican things. So I was successfully confusing it. <laughs> and then it was on to me. And it was like, this bitch is schizophrenic. That's what's happening here. And then it started being like, do you need therapy? That's a good stand-up bit. And then the algorithm recommended a therapist three doors down. Because it knows where you live. <laughs> and it's watching at all times. The robots are coming. Oh, yeah. I can't wait to do our bit about for the... We can plug the show now on here because I can't wait to talk about the news item that came out today. On Oh, guys, if you are a Walkins Welcome fan and would and and just a fan of fantasy in general the brand and not me not me talking about myself in the third person um <laughs> and you have any certain topics you think that i hit over and over again in my work like for instance the apocalypse uh-huh or proof there's a simulation uh-huh things like that and you want to send us any of those kinds of links to news items like this one was the sex robot that has coding problems and now they're prone to strangling their <laughs> clients which i knew was going to happen you said it on this podcast not too long ago on which which one i you don't just know looked it up but uh it was you said it you were like i'm just waiting for the first human to be murdered by a sex robot it's coming it's coming it, we will live to see that uh-huh. i can't wait oh boy as long as you're not the human murdered <laughs> No, these are my, this is my, these are the people they should be training to take over the incels. They should be like secret the sex robots. Yeah, because they're saying that's the cure to the sex, to the incels is sex robots. Oh boy. Yeah, sure. Give the incels an army of robots. That's going to solve whatever problems they have. They're an army of feminist robots, apparently. <laughs> and nobody hates feminists more than incels. This all sounds like it's going to work out very well. Listen. Oh, we're talking about the apocalypse, so that's our sign. <laughs> and the sex robots take over the world. God, I hope my last view on Earth is a sex robot strangling me. <laughs> that would be fucking... Um, I mean, that would be effing amazing. You can swear on this show. We swear that on That would all the be... Time fucking amazing if that's the way you go not mother nature a sex robot on rogue that's on a killing spree <laughs> tune in next week for another riveting episode that will change your life help you get out of your own way and solve all the world's problems I want to thank our composer Jared Elias, my co-producer and cousin Maggie, and all of you out there listening. This has been Walk-In's Welcome with Bridget Fettesy. I'm Bridget Fettesy, and you're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> it's the dumbest line. <laughs>